0: welcome to the endurance podcast my name's Mark Lathwaite and I'm here with my co-hosts ultra runner and sports psychologist Dr. Ian Bordley and with sports injury specialist Mike James aka the endurance physio each week we'll be talking about what's new in the world of endurance sports and we'll also be telling you how you can achieve your best on race day so sit back and relax we hope you enjoy the show good morning boys the sun is shining again in wigan so a quick weather check
1: uh ian what's the weather like where you are well it's still a bit cloudy at the moment but i'm heard it's meant to be getting good later so i think the sun's on its way good and mike where you are
2: i think you must have realized we're recording another
1: episode because the sun is
0: <laughs> shining brightly down here yeah well yeah this could be the trend that every time we do a podcast the sun will shine but uh yeah, it's beautiful and you up here. And um, how's your training going then for uh, for MDS? Have we got any further down the line? Are we still in the planning process, Mike?
2: We've started ticking along now. We've started getting some miles in. Um, we are just about to go to Spain for a week, so I might hit the sand with some nice easy ones just to get back into that. Um, the last since we've put out the last show, uh, the preparation now is the planning stage. Sorry, is done. So um, lots of routes, lots of weekends planned. Entered some races towards the new year um, so yeah it's just a case of lacing up the shoes and getting out now super
1: and uh, Ian it's D-Day for you isn't it? Sure, sure is yeah so just in the taper phase now but yeah I got my last longish mm-hmm. running weekend before last up in North Wales in the Canada um, got 23 miles in and 7,000 feet that went well felt strong and I've recovered well since it so yeah just nice and easy now until the weekend yeah we're getting Lakeland Hundred Facebook mania now. The big one, of course, is
0: the weather forecast. I never know which weather forecast people are looking at because the one I'm looking at says that it's just going to be cloudy and sunny and relatively warm, and it just looks perfect. But I keep seeing multiple weather forecasts which involve everything from typhoons to heat waves. So I don't know whether they're just doing that to wind up the other competitors now. Yeah, and of course, the big chat uh, from uh, from last weekend was Iron Man UK. Um, the the highest ever. I mean, social media was awash with comments. Highest ever DNF rate, it was, um, it, I think it was just shy of 20%. It was about 17, 18%, I think. But interestingly, and i back in January, we went out and we were riding the course because I'm local and we were riding the course in January. And I said to the guys that were racing it, there would be a 20% DNF at least on the course with the difficulty. But what, what's interesting, what were those stats saying there's a 17, 18% DNF? Is a lot of people actually dropped out before they switched to another event. So had they not jumped ship, I think the DNF rate would have been above 20%. And uh, there's been positive and negative responses on Facebook. Generally, people saying the course was too hard or too difficult or too dangerous, compared to those people which quite simply are saying you just didn't train hard enough and it's supposed to be hard, so crap on and get around it. Um, what I could see was there were, there, were, there were three things, really. The first argument was that they changed the course after people had entered. So they'd entered thinking it was one course. And then I think it was January, February time, early this year, they then changed the course to something else. So that's, that's kind of one argument. Um, the, the other thing was the, the, not just the hills, but the, the road surface as well. The, I think a lot of people had mechanicals, which caused them to DNF. So the simple argument of you should have just trained harder if it was really tough. Um, it, it's not as simple as that because there are a lot of mechanicals um and then uh, and also i think they were lucky with the weather because if it had been wet there were quite a few accidents i think crashes and if it, if it had been wet i think that could have been worse um and it's easy to say of course well no course is unsafe it's just how you ride it so if there are steep downhills and sharp corners then you should ride it safely but probably as we all as we all know um when you're racing you do get red mist so if you're putting people in a race environment, you know that they're going to race it. So that's a tricky argument to say you should have ridden safely on corners which are very fast or you know sharp downhills. Um, so and I guess that question is, you know, is it better to have um, a, a, an easier or a, a tougher course? You know, it, it's supposed to be hard. So if it's supposed to be hard, you know, then, then that's that's the whole idea of it. So a, a high DNF rate is a, is a good thing. Um about what you think about that Ian, what's the toughest Ironman course you've done and what's your what's your thoughts on that?
1: I've only done Austria at Ironman distance so that's the only one I've I've seen but um, yeah that that's a quick course but it's a fairly tough bike uh, in terms of there's quite a lot of ascent um, but it, it proves to be quite quick um, but I think you know if this is meant to be a challenge then uh, you would expect a, a reasonable dropout and I think uh, I saw sort of the the feedback that was coming back before I saw the values, so I was I didn't think that was as high as I was expecting based on what I was hearing from people. So I think for an event of of that magnitude, I don't think that's too outrageous, and I don't think the the course itself, from what's seen, has changed that much in terms of its difficulty. It's gone up 500 meters of ascent, I think, so it's probably just pushed a few people just past that point that maybe. They, they thought it would have been reasonably comfortable to get in, in the, uh, the cut off and then that's pushed them where they're really challenging themselves. But um, no, I don't think the, uh, the, cut the dropout was unreasonable for something of that difficulty.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mike, uh, what's the uh, toughest bike course you've done? What's your thoughts on it?
1: Well, I think, so my answer to that
2: will have changed the more experienced I became as an athlete. Yeah. So when I first... My, the first Ironman I did was the old one down in Sherburn, And I thought that was pretty tricky at the time. But then it changed. I thought Lanzarote was quite difficult. Vichy was quite tough. So so it's it's depended on me. And also, and quite relevant to answering the question, it depends on how I've prepared for the course. Yeah. So, um, so they've all had... There's been multiple races that have had their own little elements that would have been classed as the most difficult. So I think certainly dropout rates there's not it shouldn't be a badge of honor that races are that hard that only a certain percentage finish but at the same time these challenges are big these challenges aren't meant to be easy um so people will fail and a lot of it it's because probably they just failed to prepare we'll, we'll come on to talk about that in a bit more depth later on but i think um 20% 20% is, as you said, this masked slightly by the pre race dropouts. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think there will always be an element of a percentage of dropouts, and that's acceptable. It's, it's the reasons why people drop out are perhaps more important.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think to a, a question a lot of people uh, are always asking, um, on social media, and I certainly after this Ironman UK this year, the question you see coming up a lot is, "Is it harder than Wales?" So I'm going to answer this question <laughs> right now because uh, having done so, the old UK course last year, I did UK and Wales in 2018, and my view of it is that the old UK course was wasn't uh, much different to Wales. So I think I I rode a 525 at UK last year, and I rode a 535 at Wales, and unsurprisingly. Wales was windy. Wales is always bloody windy, so you know I think ten minutes. I found the difference between the UK and the Wales course. Um, I think Ironman UK now the new course for me is probably thirty minutes slower than the old course. So it's uh, I think it's much much tougher than than Wales now. So and I, you know, I know when quite a few people have said a lot tougher than Lanzarote and those courses. So maybe that's going to be its thing where it is claiming to be, you know, the hardest hardest course in Europe now so maybe that'll be its, its thing going forward and you know that that'll be its uh its selling point um but i mean going back to this dnf thing i think in previous years i'm not sure that the DNFs probably only been around five percent or so i mean if it's at that kind of level you know without upsetting people if the dnf rate is only around five percent it appears that pretty much anybody who trains and does a bit of training for Man can get around within those time scales so going back to this question of how much of a challenge is it um And I suppose from from Ironman's perspective, the bottom line is that Ironman are a commercial event company. And for a commercial event company to work, they have to have a lot of entries. And if you want to get a lot of entries, you've got to set cutoffs which are realistic so a lot of people can get in within the time limit. If you make it too elitist or make the time limits too tight, then you won't generate enough people to make it commercially viable. So it's always going to be generous on the cutoffs. But... So, the question I want to put to you then is going back to this why we enter races then and uh, enter races for a challenge. So, when people enter endurance events, when they enter Ironman or when they enter Ultras, if you ask them why they've entered, they'll say that they're looking for this challenge, they're looking for this, you know, be able to, to fight on through adversity and really challenge themselves physically and mentally. However, I think there's an argument to say that when people when things start to go wrong, uh, and when they're finding it really, really difficult, rather than embracing it, at that point, that's when they start to disengage from it. So I guess we've got a question. Why are we actually entering endurance races? Is it because we want, is, is, is the result the all important thing? So if you, if you want to go into 12 hours, or if you want to go into 16 hours, or whatever it may be, is, it, is the time the all important thing? Is the performance the all important thing? And is the idea that we are doing it because we want a true fight and a a true challenge, is that just, I suppose, a fake front
1: that we want others to see? Um, Yeah, I think what's going on there, perhaps, is that I think there probably is an element that people want to challenge themselves. Uh, And obviously, that's a very socially acceptable uh, response when people ask you. But I think people are also driven by the actual outcome in terms of the performance and what the response of other people will be to that performance. And I think in a very socially aware uh, world that we live in now in terms of social media, Strava, people know that results are going to be published. There's this balance between the sort of personal drivers that are driving you and what you're interested in and also how other people perceive them as well. And I think there's a balance between those two that are, that are driving us. but. Also, these these sort of deep-seated goals that we may be holding ourselves that we don't maybe tell other people because we don't want to share them, because maybe it wouldn't be a socially acceptable response to say, well, I just want to beat someone, so I'm just doing it because I want to impress people. Um, those sort of responses wouldn't be met, and maybe they're not the ones that we necessarily think about ourselves. But also, when we're met with that challenge and we want to challenge ourselves, sometimes I think in advance, we're not able to understand what the degree of the challenge might be. So we might see a certain level of challenge as acceptable and that might be what we've prepared ourselves for. But then when we meet a challenge that's much more difficult or one that threatens those goals or targets that we think other people will reward us with socially when we achieve them, then I think that is the point when people start to disengage. And the more we move towards those sort of uh, how, how, how our performance is going to be received by others compared to our own internal drivers and motivators, then that becomes more, more threatening and more challenging um, yeah. to people's likelihood of disengaging.
0: I think what other people think of us, and say the influence that social media has had on that, that's a whole other conversation which we need to have on another podcast. But yeah. uh, just for Mike, coming, coming to you, um, you know, what I see a lot on social media is what happens when you have a really bad race, Everybody comes on and says, you know, it's the difficult ones, Mike. It's where you've been on your knees. They're the ones that really define you. And that's when you find out what you're made of. So think of a race where you've done, Mike, where you've not hit your times, you've not had a good performance. How did you perceive it to be uh, negative, positive? And, and, you know, looking back now, has that changed?
2: Um, I think of two big examples. And um, how I perceived them was completely uh, related to my standing in life at the time. So I think if you have a negative experience in a race and and it's falling down the track of what you said about uh, finding out about yourself, I think you've got one attempt for that to be turned into a positive. Um, If you can make a bad situation good and you learn that, okay, in the worst case scenario, deep down inside me, I can dig in and I can get through something. But I'd always start to worry if I'm having to do that repeated races to, to get to the end goal that should be uh, okay the situation of one race didn't work well and i will use it to to influence going forward but then the other so so that's one time the other one was a good example which is um was um, april time 2018 so i entered a, a 32 mile ultra down in down in south wales and um Hadn't Just life got in the way, couldn't really train properly for it, Um, picked up a little niggle along the way, but still thought and I I continued and entered the race because of social media. So I had used my endurance physio platforms to show people what I was doing, how I was training for it. I, I discussed the injury, discussed the rationale, why I decided I was going to continue with the event and I was in the early 20 miles and the foot was niggling away and I realized that there was just no pressure on me I was in my 40s so like, so my brain had changed a little bit as well but there was no need for me there wasn't training for anything particular I wasn't trying to win the race and I DNF'd it was the first self DNF I've ever done where I just sort of for one it was a considered give up basically I didn't just pull over and stop but I just thought what's the bigger issue here why am I carrying on so I stopped but I used that then on social media to turn it into a positive and to then explain that, well, this is why I've stopped. The positives I should take from it is A, B and C. I shouldn't look at it as X, Y and Z, that these are the negatives that I, I didn't achieve the goal. So hopefully that helped a few people watching it to realise that you know it's OK to, to make decisions within races and turn potentially negative situations into positives. But there's um the bigger picture of if a race isn't going well on repeated events or repeated times then what is happening to cause that situation to repeat itself
0: yeah but i guess a, a question I'd like to directly ask you as well when you went into ironman racing so think back a few years when you're racing ironman seriously yeah. you pop on lose two to three hours walk in six hour marathon time and everybody comes on to Facebook and, or, uh, did you have Facebook at the time when you were racing Ironman? But just when, about, yeah, just about. <laughs> when everybody comes on and says that's, that's when you truly find out about yourself and that's when, you know, those are the races where you really learn about yourself. Are you looking back and thinking, yeah, they're right, and I really learned something about myself, or are you just gutted that you didn't make the time that you were aiming for?
2: So, primarily I'm gutted. Um, and you're faced with an honest response would elicit perhaps always being a bit of a dickhead. Because if you throw <laughs> your, your toys at the pram and start and start telling people how you really feel, then yeah. then it's if you you know, it, it's the most socially acceptable thing to just tip your hat and thank those people for their nice comments. Yeah. Um the real learning point is I got something wrong in my preparation. unless unless there was a freak you know if if i had a bad mechanical and it had put me behind and therefore everything had gone pear-shaped and i had to just dig in to get through that's different but if it's just the case that this thing went wrong because i didn't prepare properly for it whether that is my training whether it is my uh, anxiety whether it is my nutrition whatever facet of the race that determined it became such a struggle then um that's my my fault but you do have to put some sort of facade on, 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 on the public persona of what your response is, I think.
0: Absolutely. Because
2: to, to lay it all out there and just say, yeah, you know, I'm sulking because of of the reasons it's gone wrong. And, and now I do look like a bit of a Mardi pants. Then, then yeah, you certainly bite your tongue. Uh, the wife cops it a lot then. She cops all the, the real feelings and emotions. But, um, but I think you're expected to behave a certain way on social media in, in whatever forum you're in and when you're talking about endurance events that went well because the the reverse applies it's if something goes really well then you have to be relatively humble about it when when the other counter argument is to sing from the hilltops that i nailed all my things that i needed to nail for that race to go well and look how cool i am and how amazing i am for doing it but yeah. you don't wear that hat normally as well so so yeah it would be interesting to speak to people offline and see what they think about it
0: so i think what we're saying then is that there's probably a lot of people out there who are purely driven by performances and whether they're driven by performances for themselves or for what others think of them but um that's kind of covered some, to some extent covered by this facade of uh, i'm doing this because i want a personal challenge and actually what they're driven by is the times and when they don't hit those times and it all goes wrong and what should be their greatest moment in effect because when you're absolutely struggling like a dog and you've you've blown up in the marathon if you've gone for a challenge well there's your challenge right there that's your golden moment but actually that's not what they went for but that's what we have to portray on social media is that what we're saying Ian
1: yeah I think what you need to be able to do is sort of uh, you know if you're in the middle of that it's very difficult to think clearly but what I try to focus on when everything isn't going 100% is, you know, after this race, I'm going to be able to look at myself in the mirror and say, I still did everything I could to get the best performance out of myself on that day. Then that is a success. And that is a, that's a big win because if you can do that in a situation of adversity, then that is for me much better than doing it when everything's just going according to plan. Cause when everything's going well, and the emotions are positive, everything's falling into place. Then yeah, you're still working hard and it's it's really hurting. But it all it comes naturally; you don't have to make it happen. Whereas when the wheels start to fall off and things go wrong, can you still keep yourself on the best track possible, or can you, in an ultra or uh, ultra distance event, actually bring yourself back online and recognize that this might be something temporary, or is there something in terms of nutrition, hydration that I can correct and get myself back online? And then afterwards, you say, well, yeah, I lost some time because of that but I didn't fully disengage from the race and just sort of drag myself over the line in three, four, five hours down on my target and maybe half an hour, 45 minutes down. Uh, So I I think that's the thing. And then ultimately it's it's ourselves that we have to live with. And yeah, we're, we're bothered by what's said on social media and externally, but you can then, regardless of what other people say, which we can't control, you can then say to yourself, well, I still gave it 100% on that day and got the best performance out. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. I think... Oh, I mean, well, sorry, Mike.
2: Sorry, sorry, I was going to say, the only thing I was going to finish with is that when we're talking about uh, friends, family, people on social media, part of the pressure to justify performances is the general public don't fully comprehend each race being individual and unique. So they see a time And it doesn't matter whether you're talking a park run to a marathon to an ultra marathon to an Ironman. They see a certain time as being normal Mm -hmm. and that there's many factors that can be influenced race by race. So therefore, uh, like I certainly when Ironman Wales started, I had friends who were doing that and they were getting a decent finish in sort of 13 hours. But because 13 hours would have been considered much slower on a different course, Oh, I had a friend who did eleven hours, and and you you must be now worse than them because they got a faster time, and it all becomes about justification because of the course and the profile and and everything else that's in it. So, um, so I think it is. There's an added pressure on that side of it as an athlete to try to convince a unknowing and not a knowledgeable but a less knowledgeable audience sometimes.
0: Yeah, yeah. And in terms of something Ian said earlier on, I mean, my view of this is that only when you're close to failure, right on the edge of failure or when you fail, that's the only time when you're truly challenged. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you look at um, uh, when people enter Ironman, if there's a 5% failure rate, then actually most people are not being truly challenged. They're getting round and you know, sorry to say this to a lot of the competitors, but it it is something which is quite manageable to them. It's only those 5% who are right on the edge of failure who are truly being challenged. And I think what point that uh, that Ian said earlier is that people want a challenge, but they just want it to be manageable. So let's get within that border. So it's, it's quite tough and I'm pretty close to that, that threshold point, but let's not really go over that threshold point so I want it to be hard, but let's not be at a point where it's risking failure. And I see that even a lot in, with Lakeland 50 and Lakeland 100, you know, I get people, people dropping out for all sorts of reasons. They're not hitting the times they want to hit or that even with the elites dropping out because they're outside the top three and they, they went to finish in the top three and as soon as a fourth or fifth, they, they just pull the plug, you know. So um, it, it, I suppose, you know, it, it, to some extent, it's interesting to look at almost to to reevaluate. Why is it that you actually do these events? And if you're going because you want to finish in the top three and you want a the time, then fair enough, that's what it is. And anything outside of that is a loss. And um, but if you're going because you truly want a challenge, then if you're not on that five percent, you're not actually being being challenged. And there was a, a fascinating uh, tweet that I saw the other day. Is a guy done Ironman UK, and uh, his chap who'd come up from uh, from, uh, from the south to do the uh, the race in Bolton, and he put this post on. It you know, made it. He'd made it round the race finally, just got inside the bike cutoff. And he was complaining how ridiculous it was that he had to ride at 35 kilometers per hour for the last 10K just to get inside the bike cutoff and before to start the marathon. And he thought it was absolutely ridiculous that he'd had to do that. Now, if I was in his shoes, I'd be flipping that tweet on its head to say, awesome, I absolutely smashed it. I drilled it at 35 kilometers per hour, down Chorley New Road, got inside the cutoff three minutes and headed out onto the marathon. Why is that negative that you had to push yourself just to get inside the cutoff? Why is that ridiculous? That's more kudos to you. You've done something fantastic. You've had to fight to stay in the race. That's not a negative, is it? That's a, that's a positive. What do you think about that, Mike?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think I couldn't agree more with what you said because I, I can, see probably where his original thinking comes from because that wasn't what his plan was but again you know he's he's ended up doing something that a lot of people haven't done and he probably hasn't trained to work at that level for that period of time at that bit of the bike so yeah more kudos to him and it is a case of and hopefully um hopefully that's a immediate post-race knee-jerk comment that as the dust settles he'll reflect back and and see the real positives of that um, and it might have been easier for us to see the positives because we weren't there with him emotionally. But, um, oh, absolutely. That, that to me, is the essence of true challenge. He's challenged himself, and he's succeeded there. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, I know with Lakeland 100, we get, well, depending on the weather or the year, we can get between a 40 and a 60% DNF rate. Um, but I'll tell you, what, when you see people, and I love the fact that you can get up to a 60% DNF. I love it because... I just think that if you've got a medal for the Lakeland 100, it's something you've had to earn. And there's only a certain percentage can start the race. And then up to 60% don't finish it. You know? and that's, so that in itself is a challenge where you know, you've, got, you've got just as much chance of not getting round as of getting round. So people are really, really on that edge all the time. Um, and I guess there must be, um, you know, from a psychology perspective, Ian, there must be something which shows that the harder the challenge, the greater the reward, surely.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah, I mean, like you said, I think the difference is probably the public are more aware of what an Ironman is, and they have a bit more of an idea now, and I think with the Lakeland 100, going back to one of the things that you said earlier, one of the things I always get with people is they say, Are you're doing a 100 mile race, and I say, yeah, and they say, oh, how long does it take, and you say, well, last year it took me 26 hours 50, they say, oh, yeah, do you have a sleep in that? that because they don't recognize that. They're just thinking four marathons, four road marathons, you know, you run one normally in three hours, add a bit on, you know, you should be somewhere 14, 15 hours. They don't recognize the challenge of it. So I think it's much more sort of a, you recognize what the challenge is, but you recognize that externally people are probably going to, unless people really know the event and know what ultra 100 miles are, they're probably not going to fully understand what the performance is, so it becomes much more about um, you and you understanding what uh, that performance is. Um, but definitely, you know, if you understand what the challenge of that event is and recognise what it is and what those stats mean in terms of those dropouts, then the amount of reward you are going to get from that from finishing. Um, people get reward from just participating in the Lakeland One Hundred. Um, I sat on the bus for one of the records this year and sat down next to a guy and he asked me if I'd done it before and I said yeah this is my 8th year and he said oh it's my 8th year, I've done it 7 times and I said oh that's a, what a coincidence, he said yeah I've only finished it 3 times but I've done it 7 times so the feel part of the event and it's it's very much it's yeah. I, you'd speak to people and they say I think I had a really good race I made it to Mardale this year so they're the, goals and their achievements that they reflect upon, not necessarily linked to finishing in a time. It's how far did they get and what did they do to get to that point? And was that the most they could get out of themselves? Whereas other people who drop out and say, well, actually, half an hour later, I felt like I'd carried on and I felt as though I could carry on. They're the ones that are really disappointed. But the ones who take themselves right to the end point and drop out still can get a, a, a massive sense of achievement. Uh, yeah, I'd agree, especially when
0: they say watching people finish the, uh, you know, the, with the lake and watching people finish. That I, I always say that, you know, a finish is always better than a DNF. And because people have this idea that they want to do a certain time for an Ironman or a certain time for an ultra, because they are so driven by that. And I think, you know, wh- whatever people say about the original reasons they got into ultra, and I think the bulk of people are actually driven by other things, such as times and performances, whether it's for themselves or whether it's what other people think of them so they can post it on social media and that's again another conversation the pressures that social media add to people when they're competing and the anxiety that can cause I think that's another podcast in itself but because they are driven by those things when they just suddenly go off target the thought of finishing I mean me I'm so much better than just a finisher yeah. so they just drop out but then those decisions are made within such a, a short amount of time and the brain is saying just stop just stop you know it's going to be a crap time anyway. You're better not doing a crap time because people will see you've done a rubbish time. So they just stop. But then when they're at the, the finish line at the presentation and everybody else is sat in the medal, you know, there is no scenario which exists where they're sat there thinking, oh, I'm glad I dropped out now because uh, I was off target. You know, yes. it's always better. We've always said this with A, B and C plans. For God's sake, the C plan is always finish. finish yes. You will never regret finishing a race. I can think of multiple times when I've not wanted to start a race, not wanted to start a training session, but I can't think of one where I'd finished it and then wished I hadn't started. So just before we go to the interview with Brian, just to let our listeners know, we did have some issues with the sound and the microphone kept dipping out at times, uh, but we did get some absolutely fantastic content as well. So turn it up and enjoy the show. And UK champion Brian Fogarty. Brian, welcome to the show and congratulations mate. Are you well?
3: Yes, thanks Mike. Yeah, I'm, I'm great. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to be on the show. Have you recovered all right from Sunday? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I've just uh, took the first week nice and steady. Nothing, you know, all about recovery for the first week, 10 days for me. Um, yeah. But yeah, i might be feeling quite good.
0: And, and what, what is there between
3: now and Kona? Because I presume you're going to Kona. I am, yeah, I, I sort of made that decision after uh Lanzarote in May. So of um I think it's about I think it's twelve weeks, just the Saturday gone. So it's a nice yeah. nice little time just to, to you know, I can afford to, to really back off and, and fully recover and then sort of build up again for for, uh, for October for for corner.
0: Yeah, yeah, so a that, that twelve weeks you got you got that bit of time to recover, you've got a good block as well, haven't you, going into it. So it's a, it's a nice time scale really.
3: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm looking so far- forward to it. So
0: so, for people that don't know you, then, because um, uh, obviously I'm from the northwest and you're from the northwest, but not everybody listening might be from the northwest. You so see, you're from uh, you're from Blackburn, so you're local to the course, and anybody that's doing Ironman UK will know you as well because you pretty much race it every single year, being your local race. So, how how many years is this now that you've been racing UK?
3: I think, Mark, this this was my seventh seventh year. Seventh year, seventh consecutive year, certainly six, uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. No, it's my seventh. Uh, and how many
0: years, uh, am I guessing right that it was one year as a pro, which was last year and every other year has been age
3: group? That's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, with, with last year, of course, you raced as a pro last year, you made a decision to, um, uh, to get a pro license. How did that? Uh, how did that go for you last year? Just not just UK, but in general, was that just something you wanted to do to have a go at being a pro for a for a for a time period? Just you know, like a box ticked.
3: Yeah, it's, yeah, a little bit. I mean, the the main reason, Mark, to be honest, was was sort of the previous year when I came fourth. Um, I, and first, first thing was first, first, I missed out. I wasn't able to earn any prize money, which um, which obviously is a, is a nice little bonus to doing what we do. Um. And the other reason was, if you remember, previously the pro always set off sort of five minutes before, um, and I, I never, I still don't really understand why that is. But but I always thought I'd, I'd like to, you know, at least actually be, you know, be off with them to to see where I can where you know how I can go if I can actually catch them on the bike and, and actually be in the direct race with them. Um, so yeah, it was just a bit of a no-brainer really. we have having such a good result. Um, I thought why not? You know, I got the the criteria that the BTF um, require. Um, to actually get your pro license, so it's not a, it's not a given anyway. It's not like you can just turn up and ask for it and, and pay the money. It's you have to actually fit you know get the criteria. So we've been yeah, we've yeah. having that um, and having an outside chance of earning a bit of cash. I thought well, what, for what reason would I not do it? You know, it was it was an opportunity that just made complete sense. Um, so yeah, that was it. Really, and it was a sort of a, it a nice you know it a nice thing to, to to be able to say you've done. Yeah, great. And it isn't. It's
0: it's it's like a box tick to say that you've raced pro, and it's you know whatever the experience, whether it was all positive or or negative, whatever. It's it's still it's a you know it's a life achievement, isn't it, to say that you've to, you've raced pro as well. So I think I think you're you're absolutely right. And I do remember that. I know you're saying like with a with a pro setting off. I think some years it might have been like as much as ten minutes. And I yeah. get what you're saying. You know, it'd be nice for certainly for someone like you who can be up there with them, racing against them, shoulder to shoulder. You're giving them a ten minute head start on the course, and it's nice to you know, to, to actually be in the mix with him and, and see where you are. Yeah. Exactly, so, yeah, so exactly. and obviously you're juggling training as well, like every other age group, you're juggling training with your, with your full-time business, aren't you? You've got your own business in a, in Blackburn Fogarty's insurance. Yeah. Um, is, is that just you or is, is it just you and your wife or is that other members of the family involved in that as well?
3: No, yeah, it's me and my brothers, um, we set it up sort of 13 years ago, um, just working, working from a terraced house. Um, 13 yeah. years on we built it up and now we've sort of got 13 staff my um, sister yeah. works with us um, so it's, it's a good family business yeah it's, um, it's going well
0: and do they are they are they a bit lax on you do they allow you allowed to get time to go training do you know what I mean and certainly now you've won Man. can you go in with a bit of authority and say well I've got to take
3: the morning off now lads to ride the bike do you know what I mean are you alright with that <laughs> no not at all no it's, it's not that's the thing people might think that because it is family business but obviously you know, it all has to be equal um i mean the better i've got um, the more they've got involved in it it sort of helps a little bit you know there's a bit more give you know bit of uh, give and take um but no i mean when i don't work if i do take the extra time to train i don't get paid um which is how it you know how it has to be i, I totally understand that that's that's a new fair way of doing it um so, yeah, it he has its pros and cons, obviously, like, like any business. Um, but, I, I, you, know, it, it's good. I'm, you know, it's good. You know, it's good. It does work well. But I've worked yeah. tried to get it to that point. You know, it certainly wasn't that, that way in the early days. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Because the other thing is, I'd say, for anybody who knows you, uh, and to be honest, even people who don't know you, who race Ironman UK, will have seen your family. Because that's one of the things, when you're racing, not to UK, whenever you are, I've seen you at Lanzarote and other races and stuff, I know that your family kind of travel en masse. I think your family's growing, Brian. I'm sure some of them are not members of your family. (laughs) you don't turn around and see people stood there in a red and white t-shirt and think, who's she or who's he? (laughs) I think they're just joining your family. But even like when I was racing, like racing Ironman UK on the old course, until this year, you used to go down to the M65 island and then you would turn left and, was always, you know, that I, I remember. They always stood. That was one of the points where they would stand at that pub, and you'd spot yeah. the red and white T-shirts. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I've noticed that. Is that like an important thing for you? It's, you know, it's great that they all all turn out and support.
3: Massive. Yeah, massively. It's it's what it's about. Um, I, I love it because they they, you know, they're just as excited as me for it. Um, and certainly as 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 I have, you know, I've been keep keep improving as the years go. It, it sort of adds to the excitement. Excitement for them, you know. Um, so yeah, it is. It's, it's good. It's good. It, it certainly, uh, it certainly helps keep me going when it's uh, when I go through some tough times. And the fact that I know the course, it's on my doorstep. Um, it gives me an advantage. Um, so when these other pros want to come from all over the country and, and race here, I feel like I've I've got an advantage by knowing the course as I do. So I need to keep I need to keep all these little advantages working for me. So me to go abroad and race these lovely races it's great and at some point in my career i will do that um, but while while it's here on our doorstep I, i'll keep using it to, to work it's you know in, in my advantage um and to have the support you know it's just just incredible it, it gives you that extra couple of percent what, what you need what i need to to compete against the big boys yeah
0: yeah and it was, uh, And we are talking about the big boys. What was interesting this year is how strong is the Northwest scene? So I was stood with a, uh, see, uh, when you came off the bike first and Tony Cullen came off the bike second. And again, people who aren't local. Tony Cullen's another kind of Northwest athlete who works with you on it. You and uh, Tony worked together on a coaching business at Tri-Central UK. I'll talk a bit more about that later. But um, Tony came off the bike second and I was stood with Tony's brother, Dave. And we were having this conversation, and as people were coming off the bike, we were saying, this could be any other Northwest race. Mm. And I know that because of the location of Ironman UK being in Bolton, there's always going to be more Northwest people doing it because it's local. But the first five, ten competitors coming in, it could have been any local race. Yeah. You know, you look at the strength and depth of people in the Northwest race in Ironman. It's incredible, isn't it?
3: It is. It's good to see as well, you know. Um when you think of all their names, you know, me, Tony, Tom Rigby, Fellwell, uh, John Fellwell, um, just to name a few, and that's you would have been up there. You've been up there as you always are for the last ten years. You've got, you've got Tony Cullen's brother, Dave. Um, there's, there's a lot of people. There's, it says a lot about the northwest. Um, I, I was thinking about it myself. I, I wonder whether I know. Obviously, that's because Bolton is on our doorstep. I'm sure it's an advantage. But some of the the events that we have around there. <clears throat> I'm sure that I must encourage um, the level of, of triathlete to be higher as well, because there's so much competition with all the, the you know, the, the fantastic races
1: uh, yeah, that we have.
3: Yeah. I wonder if that's that's the reason, you know, it's. Um, it is, it's yeah, just, it's, uh, it's super standard. standard, and people start to break through as
0: well. Um, is it what's his name? George jo- Martindale, George Martindale, and people like that, and yeah, and, and, and of course Phil Ellison. <laughs> Phil Ellison got in the top ten for the first time, and he won the Vet 40 category.
2: Yeah,
3: Phil,
0: you know, yeah. And, so it's like super strong. And it was so yeah. good, you know, stood there. I would have thought, to be honest, you know, I'm injured, so I didn't race. And I thought I would have been disappointed, stood at the side. But it was brilliant to watch. I mean, it was really, really good. And uh, I don't know, how did you feel about the fact that this year, one of the things I thought perhaps would let the race down was the fact there were no pros there. And that was my initial thoughts. But having seen it, for me, it made it better not having pros there. I don't know what your thoughts were on that.
3: Yeah, tough one, really. Yeah, I was similar to you. I, I thought, I thought without having the pros do it, might just lose that edge of credibility. Um, but no, I certainly don't think it lost the credibility in the end. Um, I think the standard was high, and uh, there were there were obviously people coming from far and away who, who were at high level. Um, and and it gives I suppose it gives the opportunity to, to myself to Tony, to, you know, to, to be racing in such a big race and actually for me, for example, for winning it, um, it, it gives it gives people an opportunity that probably won't normally get that um, to be high up in such a big race, you know, yeah. which is yeah. good. But I'm on the same sense. I, don't, I know yourself, I, I want to race the best. Um, so it's nice to have the best coming to, to, to these, uh, these parts to race, like to Skipper and Clark in recent years and, and some top, top names. So, yeah, to it, me, it, 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 it had its pros and cons. But if you asked me honestly, would I prefer the pros to be here, I would. I think I would say, yeah, I would prefer um, the, big, the big guys to be here. Um, yeah. So we can, can have a good level of see where we're at in comparison. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I, I, I think one of the things perhaps is that um, a lot of the pros that have been in the past, a lot of them are kind of, should we say, second tier pros. And there have been some very good ones. You mentioned Will Clark and, and, and Joe Skipper and those kind of people. But I also feel that some of the top age groupers, like yourself, probably connect more with people in the region than some of the second tier pros that come to the event. So I can imagine, I wasn't out on the bike course, I was only in Bolton watching the run. But I can imagine that when you hit Sheephouse Lane and went past the the pub at the bottom where all the crowds were, everybody knows you. And everybody knows Tony and they all know Tom and those kind of first three. And they know Lucas, of course, Lucas Siska, who lived yeah. in Horwich. Um, and he's going to move back to yeah. the States. Hasn't he? so he's a local lad as well, Lucas, you know, from, from uh, Horwich Tri Club. Yeah. So I can imagine the atmosphere and the cheering was probably a lot louder almost. And it would have been for the pros because you connect with them because people know you and they see you on a weekly basis,
3: you know. Yeah, totally, yeah, yeah, definitely, um, and to be honest, to, to, to the masses, I mean, like you said, because they, they're not, a lot of them aren't mainstream pros, they wouldn't know who they are anyway, exactly. so it wouldn't, yeah, no, so I see your point, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're not going to have Gianferino turn up, but but even then, in, in all honesty, a lot of them won't know who Gianferino is, <laughs> a lot of them, and it's true though, isn't it, a lot of a yeah, lot of the, the, the yeah. first time, a lot of first timers wouldn't, wouldn't know, because no. They're not doing it for that reason. They're doing it for their own personal sort of goals and, and accomplishments. So yeah. yeah, yeah, it's interesting, yeah. So, so right,
0: let's let's just put this one to bed for a start, Brian. The new Ironman UK course, is it tougher than Wales? Tougher oh, than Wales. Come on.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: I've just picked it up. I've spent 20 minutes bigging it up before before you came
3: on. I would say it is, yeah. It's certainly longer. In terms of me, it took me longer. I, I would say it is. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's a harder course all round, in my opinion, yeah. than, than Wales, yeah. Is it tougher yeah, than Lanzarote? Different ways in which it's tougher, uh, and also in ways it's not tougher, obviously, that the heat in Lanzarote plays a part and, and the vicious winds. But in terms of the course and the profile and the... And the you have, having to adapt to the surface and, and, and experiencing the, the vibrations and relentlessness on the bike. For me, Bolton's bike course was the toughest I've I've experienced. Yeah. Um and, and the, the slightly new run course what I didn't experience last year is also tougher than previous years. Um if you remember we, we've always had the eight mile stretch haven't we previous to to, uh, to, to this year and last year. At the start which yeah. quite flat but yeah, now you yeah, which is a nice, you know, it ticks a nice eight miles off of, of easy running, whereas now you're yeah. straight into the, the, the drag going up, to, uh, up out to Bolton. So it's, yeah, I'll, I'll go as far as saying this is the hardest I've done.
0: So correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but on the old course before this year, you held the record for that as well, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yeah, so your biking ability is right up there, not just with the top age groupers, but with all the top pros as well. So obviously on the on the bike, that's where you're you're making your time up. So your strategy this year is it literally just to get out of the water and get on the bike and then just smash it from the off and just you've got to get to the front and then get a gap. Is that pretty much what's going through your head?
3: Very much so, Mark. Yeah, yeah. I, I certainly don't. I'm not one to complicate things. Yeah, that was that was pretty much my my plan. Um, simple as that. Yeah, to to put some good time into, into anyone on the bike and just see how how it goes on the road and I knew if I was running well which I felt I were it was going to take um, a good performance off somebody to beat me that was my that was my, my, my plan yeah and I I mean because a lot of people when they ride as well you know a, triathlon just become quite a technical
0: sport so they're asking questions like what was your power that you're riding to what heart rate you're riding to do you bother with that or do you just kind of use it in training as a guide and then on race day you just go with how you feel
3: <sighs> you, you have to go how you feel don't you I mean it, it, for me, yeah, the, the power and, and heart rates—it's all. It's, it can. It is important. It's certainly worth always keeping an eye on. But you can only do what you can do and how you feel on the day. I mean, I've done races where I've got off the bike and I, whatever power reading I intended to ride to, it just couldn't. It yeah. wasn't there. Um, so yeah if you do have a freak day where you you, you feel like you know you're going a bit above your needs, you should be then that's fair enough you are in it. but I always just apply this this logic of can I will I be able to hold this for 5 hours.
0: Um, yeah
3: obviously you get a lot of feedback from the training you do to know what you're able to do in previous races that you've done up to, to where your level is and what you, you know you should be able to do. So it's a lot of feel up for me to be honest um and just just how you're feeling on the day you, you've got to be smart if if you're not feeling it you, you've got to back off a bit and and, and yeah. be smart and, and I hold this for this amount of time? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly I'd, not a to the numbers.
0: No, no. I think I agree to you. There's, there's a time and a place for them. You can use them in training, but on race day, I'd, I'd, I, wouldn't be looking at a power meter on race day because only you know, being in touch with your own body, you know how you feel and how hard you can push yourself. And the numbers are the numbers, but you know that it's it being in touch with your own body, isn't it? It's the most important thing. Absolutely. But,
3: uh,
0: and and I, the, I think the. the with that course as well it's such a, a strength course if you like strength is probably the wrong word to use but it, it, it's a real tough course that you're coming off the back of that bike and like you said earlier you're running a very hilly marathon as well and i think that's something that, that a lot of people don't don't understand that if you're strong on the bike to like with yourself because you're so strong on the bike forcing everybody to chase you and knowing that they're making they're losing time you're pushing them harder and harder as well and, mm-hmm. and what I notice in those scenarios are people who you would think on paper would be very, very fast runners or maybe even faster than you or would be able to run as quick as you actually yeah. not hitting those times then on race day because the legs are gone uh, by the time they get to the marathon course. And that's something I was trying to say to a lot of people. Actually, A lot of people disappointed that they didn't run as fast as last year, but completely not, not even taken into the equation that the change in the bike course. And I was saying, you were on the bike for another hour
1: yeah exactly. with an extra
0: couple of thousand feet of climbing at what yeah. point did you think you would run the same time as last year absolutely. you know absolutely yeah so i mean yeah. how, how did you find the marathon did you find the marathon harder this year you know were you coming off with more tired legs or did you find it you know how was you running compared to previous years
3: it, again slightly hard to gauge from previous years because of the slight change in course um you know with, with the first part previously being a flat section um I felt I did have a bit of an issue with my foot, so I sort of I wasn't running too freely from the off, um, but I was tapping into a decent pace. You know, if you can run a short three hour on there, I was confident there wouldn't be many with the gap I had coming into the run. I, I sort of was confident it's going to take a, a, a good performance for someone to to, to do me. Um, I ended up with like a three ten, but um, yeah, I was I was still I was still confident that would take some beating, even though I didn't feel like I was running at my best. Um, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. That's, so.
0: You, once you put that time into people, that was when I saw you come off the bike and, and you were running strong, and my first thoughts were, they're all going to be knackered after that bike. And, it, and that you just know that people who you know, might be capable of even like 250s were just not going to run those times. And once you yeah. had that time in the bank, and I think that was, I saw that right across the board with a lot of people, and you know local people, you see it from the clubs, and just know people from local tri-clubs, that after that bike, they almost hadn't taken into account how it was going to impact on the run and seemed to think they'd just run the same time as as previous years. And what you could see with you is just that strength of, I'm just going to keep going at this pace. And, you know, they, they were just never going to close that gap. It was, yeah, it was brilliant, spectating. I absolutely loved it. And you had Nick on lead bike as well. Nick Rose was on lead bike, wasn't he? Oh, you know, yeah. Got, yeah. Nick got personal Nick. time splits here on lead bike. <laughs> yeah, it
3: was really good that, to be honest. Yeah. It was good. I just knew he was because he's a he's an athlete himself he, he knew what i what i wanted so he was giving me exact splits yeah and that was yeah. the thing I suppose i knew i didn't need to do anything special on the bat on on the run. it was a yeah. case of being smart not taking you know i didn't i didn't want i didn't need to go off in my first half and really push it to make any time up it was it was for the others to do that so it was, it was obviously leading the race was a different i've never experienced that sort of thing so it was i had it planned prior of, of how it hopefully might pan out and it was a case of i knew Um, be smart on the run and and make them make and it turned out that way because the the lad in second pushed it hard in the first half and did did put some serious time into me but it it clearly just gone a bit too hard yes yeah yeah
0: yeah but it says get. it's like that almost defensive strategy you get the time in hand and then all you've got to do is just keep running at your pace and you force their hand you know they're the ones who had to give chase once you've got that time in hand yeah so it was a And you could see that, said from halfway, that they just weren't gaining because, you know, the the, the hand had been forced and they had to chase in that
3: first half. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. It was the second. It was the second lap. Third, this we done. We done. I think it was halfway. I was starting the third lap, and you said, right, we need to consolidate this now. You shouted to me, and I took that on board. I thought, right, he is gaining, but let's let's just really make sure now that we don't let it close. If he'd closed in again on that lap, he would have put a bit of pressure on. But yeah, it was that third lap was the defining one for me, where I would slightly just increased it um, in my effort. Maybe not my time didn't show that, but my effort. And and then when you when I come down that third time, you said you've you've, you've consolidated. If anything, you've, you've slightly pulled him. So I sort of deep down then I sort of knew it. Then it was it was obviously my uh, it was gonna go my way if I, if I kept uh, kept holding the pace I was. Yeah, yeah.
0: And and also just uh, going off at a different tangent here, obviously with. Tired in with your racing as well you're now coaching aren't you so you're working with Tony at Tri-Central UK and, and coaching people
3: yes I am yeah it's something I've been doing now for sort of uh, building up over the last two years um, I got my first athlete to corner as well this year which was as well as my my success there it was it who, was a hell of a, who was yeah, that Matt Smith Matt oh Smith yeah, yeah. Is co- yeah. Local he's been lad. at Horwich.
0: Very, Horwich every year he's always in the top five or so at Horwich in top few
3: yeah yeah he loves that course and that race he, he lives local to it and uh he, he's, he's, a, he's a good lad, he's got a hell of an attitude and a lot of talent and uh, quite yeah. a quite proud moment to see him, you know, come come through over the last 18 months and qualify. It was a, it was, it was a nice, really nice, special time. Yeah, well, yeah.
0: Uh, and just come kind of with with the coaching side of things, um, is there a certain kind of person that you enjoy coaching the most? I know, well, it's a tricky question this because people have asked me this and when you, if you have a commercial coaching business, you're always conscious of saying, you know, Oh, we'll take anybody of any ability and blah blah blah. But you you probably have a a, a niche person who you you probably prefer to work with. But you can't say that because you know you you run a business. But I can No, no, you know, I I can do you say, you say that. coach is,
3: anybody or what what? No, are, are you I, you
0: tend to focus on a certain kind of person.
3: No, I, I can say that because you know I am fortunate enough to to, to, to sort of pick and choose to a point. Yeah. Um yeah. I, For me, it's just about I'm someone that, that's got the right attitude. Um yeah. And who's not who's who's willing to put the work in and uh, help me help them achieve the goals. Yeah. Um, so whatever level you're at, you know, I, I'm with the experience I've got and and, and and as an athlete and now as a coach. Yeah. Um, I can help anyone at any level. Um, but all I all I want back is people that are willing to put put the effort in. Um, I'm not interested in, in time wasters. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. You know yourself. You you've, you've got to put the work in. Um, to to, to reach those goals yeah yeah is that an
0: interesting dynamic on race day? So you got coach athletes doing UK Are you chatting to them race morning? Or are you doing your own thing or do you have an agreement or how does that work?
3: No, I mean I, I, I create um it's a personal thing with me with the coach, with the athletes. so they also know it's a two way thing with with I'm racing as well, so so they, yeah. they know they have that respect for me knowing that I'm racing, but no if you get get your stuff together and i like I like being relaxed and chatting and I'm always on hand to help them if they need. Um, yeah. They know that, uh, and that's what's important sometimes. If, if there is anything that they need last minute, I'm there for them. Um, yeah. No question, yeah. that's no problem at all. Brilliant, brilliant. Good to see it getting passed on, yeah.
0: Now, um, I could talk to you all day, to be honest. I've got a lot of the things I want to yeah. talk about, but, uh, but I know uh, um, uh, Mike and, uh, and Ian are going to start getting irate with me. So I know um, uh, Mike's got some questions about, you know, Mike's very interested in the strength and conditioning side of things. Um, So, uh, uh, Mike, I'll hand over to you. Thanks, Mark. Um,
2: Hi, Brian. Massive congrats again. Cheers, Mike. It was inspirational watching you tearing up such a technical course on the weekend. I, as as a physio um, and a strength conditioning coach, I spend most of my time trying to bore endurance athletes into the benefits of strength training. So whenever I... Learn about an athlete, someone performing at your level, who is an advocate for strength training. Then it, it seems a, a no-brainer to to start tapping into to how you do it, why you do it, and the benefits of it. So, um, Mark mentioned to me when we were preparing the show that you do believe quite strongly in strength conditioning work. Hello,
3: yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. so so just tell the listeners a little bit about your sort of typical package of strength training as as you go through a training period.
3: Well, I I sort of I, I work it. See, what you've got to be careful with the strength and conditioning is, you know, ultimately it has to add on to the swim, biking, and running. They are number one, swim, biking, and running. But but for me, the strength and conditioning is a, is a close runs closely behind it. Um, obviously, you've got to go through phases. Certainly, winter you can afford to to, to go a bit heavier and, and sort of stress yourself a little bit more with the strength and conditioning because um, the, the swim, bike, and running isn't as key at that time. Um, Obviously, coming into race season, you've got to be careful. You, you know, you don't want to be having doms after some st- heavy strength work, and, and you, you're not hitting the level you should be on the bike and run and swim. So, you just got to sort of work it in harmony a little bit with that, um, which is what I do. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very keen on it. I make sure at some point I will do two two times a week, I will consciously do some sort of strength and conditioning. What, what sort of, what are your take home exercises that
2: you would tend to go for?
3: I stick to your compound stuff. I don't get too complicated. Your squats, your deadlifts, um, your Bulgarian squats, um, glute bridges, um, that sort of thing. Uh, core work, plank, side plank. Um, they're pretty much the standard stuff I'll do. Perfect, and that's something as well you use
2: with your athletes that you coach. That's right. Yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah, perfect.
2: And I think like you've answered the next question. The next question was how would you balance it with your cardio. And um, and we've got bucket loads of evidence that's coming through now to show that the approach that you've just mentioned is the exact approach people should be taking. Because the errors I always see is the people who start ramping up a training block for a race and at the same time simultaneously start to try and add strength training to it. So they're trying to ramp both things up at the same time. And when push comes to shove and the big miles and the big hours are needed and the hard cardio sessions, and the strength training has to sacrifice and it gets binned and yeah. then issues arise. So I think it's, it's really important for the listeners then to see that even at the elite level like yourself, using the common sense approach that you begin one and you get strong so that you've gained the strength and maintain those benefits as cardio takes over um, is, is it's not only probably the most sensible way, it's probably the best way right now as, as far as the evidence is suggesting. Um, so, were you? Did you? You mentioned earlier to Mark that there was you felt something in your foot during the race. Did you? Did you have any injuries or niggles through the through the Ironman UK process?
3: I did. Well, so so yeah. I mean, I had a problem all last year with with a foot injury. Of, um, I had a fractured navicular, um, and I managed it all year. Um, and I was I was actually I was all set to have an operation, um, or uh, sort of December time, and then it got postponed to February. So. It, the problem was, if I had the operation, it would have meant A, I might never get back to the level I'm at, and, and, and B, the whole season would have been written off. And uh, I needed to give it an extended period of time to at least know if if I did. If op- I wanted operations for sort of the, the last option if, if if I needed to. And I probably haven't been quite honest with the surgeons and things, and given it as, n- as much rest as I, they probably thought I had. So I did have an extended period off, which seems to have sorted that. Um, I see, I have regular physio. I see some good guys, uh, summit physio um, down my way. Um, so they're always big on the m- mobility getting everything on, m- mechanics working right and I think that's important when you're going into some hard training, I think you've got to keep on top of that best you can um, but no, generally speaking no. apart from just um, just you know, the odd sore muscles here and there, nothing I was, and, I, and I think having a, a regular strength training mobility programme is big on that, is, is the reason I don't have your standard injuries, your hamstring tears and your calf tears and I feel for the last five years since i've been
1: big on it i've never had a
2: problem yeah that's so important and and, and these these are the dream answers that, that someone like yourself could give for the for the everyday athlete out there and the novice athlete who's, who's listening to things like this you know to to understand that the best of the best do it this way and i loved what you said then about the um the surgery option and then giving it the, the appropriate rehab Someone operating at that elite level often is, and, and this goes across sports, not just the endurance world, they are almost encouraged that, well, get the surgical option. It's the quickest uh, track to get you back up and running and back into training and competition. But it's not always the, the best answer. And, and it's hard. It's hard sometimes to then go through the extended period of rest, recovery, rehab. But often if you can, it shows that the surgical interventions often aren't needed. Hmm. Um, so, finishing off from me then on that injury stuff. Um, as an elite athlete, for other elite athletes and all the other endurance athletes of all levels listening, what would be your sort of top tips of avoiding injury and then dealing with injury if you get them?
3: Get a good uh, therapist that you trust um, who can can help advise on your injuries. Firstly. Um, secondly, just um, just don't neglect the strength and conditioning. Um, it's it's massively, it's massively important to keep to keep on throughout your training. Um, it's the first, like you say, it's the first thing that goes, but it's it's really massively important to keep. On. It doesn't have to be hard. It just has to be just stimulating the the glutes and and the, and the, even even sometimes just just half an hour of a stretching routine. I think it's massively important, um, and people neglect it because it's you don't maybe get the the the, the euphoria of, of finishing a session like you do after strength, and, you know, like like a hard turbo session, for example. But but it is just as important as amateurs. We we've got to look after our bodies, and as Mark knows as well as me, it's being successful in in this game as an amateur, but one of the biggest things is staying injury free. It's 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 massively important because you put all that time in, and then. You miss a month of an injury, and it's, it's it's a long way back. It's a lot of training been missed just through neglecting your you know your, your your stretching and your recovery. Yeah, it's fantastic. There's so many
2: so many big important messages that you've sent out in just those few questions. Thanks so much
3: for that. No problem, Ian. No worries at all. Uh, I have to- actually got.
0: I've got a question, actually, for for, for both of you, for Mike and for, for Brian as well. Okay, because you've just been talking about strength training and its benefits for injury prevention. Okay, so as we all know, this is what happens with runners. They run until they get injured. Then you tell them the exercises to do to resolve the problem. And then they do the exercises to resolve the problem. And whilst they're doing them, think, I'll carry on doing these when I get better so I don't get the problem again. Then they get better. Then they stop doing the exercises. (laughs) And then they train again until they get injured and think, I should have carried on doing that exercise. And then they start doing them again. So as physios, I feel that you're always fighting that losing battle of. You should be doing strength training to not get injured. But most people will sacrifice it for something else. And they'll only do it when they get injured. And that's pretty much what happens with a bulk of people. Okay, so move that to one side for one second. Because the, the thing that always catches people's imagination is when you say, it'll make you go faster. Then they sit up and listen. So we're just thinking about the bike for a second. Now I'm looking at you, Brian, and I see Tony you come off the bike behind you as well. And I'm looking, thinking, I wonder what those lads can deadlift and bench press. <laughs> because let's just look at the performance aspect of cycling for a second on how much benefit there is in actually being strong, physically strong, to pushing that big gear and being able to ride at 25 mile an hour. So here's the first question, Brian. If you had to when you're at your strongest, what can you deadlift or squat on a one rep max?
3: It's more than double my body weight. Um I, I sort of work to that. Yeah, I don't I don't really do one max stuff because there's a little bit of injury risk there if you're not being yeah. spotted correctly. Um so I generally sort of do reps up to three. Um What what do you think you could get up to? Work it out and then add ten
0: percent on you because you're on the podcast.
3: Deadlifts. <laughs> I'm, I'm good at deadlifting. I'll, I'll be about 170 kilogram. And how much do you weigh? 70. Whew. So you're about
0: the same as where I am then, Brian. So, uh, no, but uh, I'm asking, asking for a friend here then. Do you know what I mean? I'm asking for a friend here, Brian, of looking at you and Tony and how fast you both are on the bike. Right. So one of the things we do with our coaching thing and the services we offer at the shop, we do VO 2 max testing for athletes. And it's a simple ramp test. It goes up every minute to failure. That's the aerobic test to measure VO 2 max. And then we do an all out sprint, which lasts a handful of seconds. And a couple of years ago, we decided to just graph everybody that we tested. And we had about 600 people. and We plotted a graph. And basically what it was saying is there was quite a strong relationship between what they could sprint just for a couple of seconds. What they could sprint and what they reached on the aerobic VO2 test. And that's not some kind of scientific research that we did. We just plotted a graph with the data we had. But what we find is a lot of people who come and do what bike testing, you get it a lot with runners who come to cycling and more so with female runners who come to cycling, is that they haven't got that basic strength. So even if you can't push the big chain ring for 10 seconds, you can't do it for seven hours. So they lack that basic strength. So the question I'm going back to you is injury aside, how do you both think for you you first, Brian, and then what do you, what what your thoughts are in this mic of the the strength you have, what you can lift, what you can produce in, you know, uh, in the gym, how that correlates across to cycling performance and the watts that you can push out. So uh, Brian, what's your thoughts on that first?
3: I think there obviously is some correlation, Mark. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like anything. If if you can put out, say, X amount of power, it, it's like, say, as a runner, I can put it in, in easy terms. If you ain't going to run a faster 10k, you're not going to run a 36 minute 10k until you can run a mile in them in six minutes, exactly. And it, it brings it all down, then you're not going to, you're not going to, if you can't run 400 meters in, in 90 seconds, it. So it so you know if you can get your 400 meter faster you get your mouth faster you get your 10k faster and it's and similar with biking if you can get a higher one minute power you're going to get a higher 20 minute power and it just goes on from there and that's the concept i would say i mean but yeah even even for five second power i'm sure there is some correlation with it in in that people can find that level that that higher power easier to get to um yeah i think it does make complete sense, definitely. It's funny. You said I, that. I did that test with Joe, and uh, Joe, do you remember Joe? Joe actually opened my eyes. She, she actually said to me when I when I read this. I I was clueless back then. I really was in my early days. I <laughs> tested with you. Do you remember? Yes, yeah, uh, so I uh, do. Yeah. And Joe said to me, she went, "Bloody hell, Brian!" And I said, "What?" She went, "Well, these results. You're a race winner." And I said, "What?" She went, "These these race winner results." And I swear to God, that that really planted a seed with me. To, to actually yeah. think, maybe I've got something in, in cycling that I've just not quite tapped into yet, and uh, and yeah. I, I sort of yeah. kept, from then, I, I I did build on that, it was really, because uh, you give me some right good zones and, and things to work to it was, it was good.
0: Yeah, yeah and and Mike, what what are your thoughts on that, so not just the injury side of it, but talk about strength training you know, the, the, the maximum you can lift and how that impacts on performance and specifically in cycling really, I'm
2: looking yeah, at yeah, no, no, Well, absolutely, I agree, and think when so when i've had difficulty in the past trying to get athletes to strength train part of that was errors on my behalf just focusing on the injury prevention because as you said it's only a problem when it's a problem for them so switching tack yeah. and trying to approach it from a performance point of view is often when you've got a population of people that are struggling with time so they can't find more time to cycle they can't find more time to run or swim and actually saying well be smarter with your time and get stronger And the the physiological adaptations can help your performance in one of two ways. So suddenly, if I am performing at level X because um, and a perceived effort of Y, then if I'm stronger, then I should, in essence, be able to perform at the same level, but it should feel easier.
3: Mm.
2: Likewise, the next ramp up from that would be that increased strength would mean that I can perform just as hard, but now I'm performing better. So it's making the same effort easier or being able to make the performance better for the same effort. So um, there's a fundamental thing to be throwing strength training as an endurance athlete. And the tactic that I find now has the most success is trying to use it as a clever time-saving way of doing it. Most endurance athletes don't want to go to the gym. They're not wanting to be technically coached with big heavy, complicated lifts, implementing strategies like little group training sessions, group strength sessions early in the mornings, giving them stuff they can do at home. Um, Even though in the strength training world, they may not be the optimal way of training, trying to get them to realize the benefits and then taking away the excuses is the way I find the success now is you're going to give me a barrier of why you can't implement strength training. Some of it's education and knowledge. You think you need to be on, on the bike, on the road, on the, on the pool. Some of it is you um, have confidence issues with it. Some of it is you don't have the equipment available. So if I can provide solutions and, and environments that mean that I'm taking away these barriers and you're going to do it, then the strength training, that's all I need to do for the win is get them to do it because simply doing it, bar none, if they do it to the right ad- adaptive load, they're going to get gains. And once they get the gains and they get on the bike and they start realizing, oh, this feels a bit easier, or wow, I'm way faster than I was a couple of months ago, then your job is done because they've bought in, they're convinced they're doing it.
3: One thing is getting into people to understand that because it's Ironman and it is sort of a 10, 11 hour event, everything doesn't have to be long and slow. You, just, you know, every, If you, you train long and slow, you will be long and slow. We are ultimately all trying to get faster whatever your level is. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's something. It's getting into people's heads to actually understand it and believe it, that that yeah. is the way forward.
0: That point you just made there about the long and slow is absolutely bang on the money as well, because what we tend to find is that the people, if we're coaching who are, I suppose, the more middle-of-the-pack to the back-of-the-pack age groupers, this common belief that if you're doing Ironman, it's coffee shop riding, and it's, you know, I've got to get the miles, in and it's long, and slow stuff. And actually what happens is those people generally – are lacking top end now the reason they go and do the long slow stuff is because either everybody's told them oh you need to get the miles in or they actually don't want to do the top end stuff so they enter iron man because it gives them the perfect excuse not to do the painful stuff yeah. so i'll go and do the long slow stuff instead and when we yeah. test people it's never a lack of endurance it's always a lack of basic functional power and strength yeah. so they top end you know that they can ride slow for a long 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 time but that doesn't make them faster you know that doesn't make them faster and i think that's a real misconception and that's worse as you get older so there's a shift of older people to iron man because i'm better at long stuff and i always say no no when you say you're better at long stuff what you really mean is i'm rubbish at short stuff and you, you you're twisting the wording you know it's 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 coaching, the most simple rule of coaching is to work on your weaknesses. What you don't do is work out what you're weak at and then go and enter events which allow you to avoid it, you know, and I'll go and do the long easy stuff. So yeah, and the point you made before Brian is absolutely, the one is bang on the money, you can sum it up in saying if you can't push 400 watts for a minute you've got no chance of pushing 300 watts for an hour. It's as simple as that, it's a law of averages isn't it? So. Definitely.
3: What
2: well, that breeds then is in the population of endurance athletes that don't get strong. And they don't have that robust system. These are the population. Then you start seeing. Looking for the cheats. And the easy ways to get faster. Yeah. So these are you these are your guys. Like I, I'm cursed. Um, every, every Saturday and Sunday. Around South Wales. I am cursed by watching. Guys out cycling. On TT bikes. With disc wheels. With teardrop helmets. With everything you can think of. About 10 grand worth of kit. To try and go faster. And they're sitting up and you know that they they just don't have a body that is strong enough to maximize the benefit of those those things they're using um
1: yeah.
2: and and they'll throw money and time at getting the gadgets and the kit to try and go faster but the the battle you have to try and get them to spend a tiny little bit of money on something that they can get stronger doing is is a fundamental battle for me and and I always sort of say to it you know right now you're like a learner driver in a formula 1 car and yeah. you just need to be a better driver before you can benefit from the car that you're in. And,
1: yeah.
2: um, and it's, it's, it's such a common thing, I see.
0: Yeah, so interesting. We were talking about that, um, you know, the functional ability to be able to run quick before you start going longer. And Ian is a nice example of this because he spends all his winter trainings for his uh, his marathons and gets down to 250, which is very good for age at London, I have to say that, uh, Ian. Gets down to his 250, And then once he's got his speed, he extends it out to train for his ultras in summer. So, uh, And and I know Ian's got a lot of questions for you about your psychological preparation and experiences on race day. So, Ian, we'll uh, we'll hand over to you.
1: Thanks, Mark. Hi, Brian. Uh, How are you doing, Ian? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I'll just start off again by saying huge congratulations. That that win at Ironman UK, It must have felt good. Yeah, cheers,
3: Ian. Yeah, it was...
1: dream come true yeah right. yeah i it kind of that that performance and that uh, that victory sort of ties into my first question because as matt mentioned that i'm interested in all aspects of endurance preparation but particularly in the psychology of it and um i was wondering if you sort of make it you know i'm always interested in how people evaluate their performances and learn from it and Obviously, it's the first time you've won Ironman UK, but you're a bit of a stalwart at the event, aren't you? I think this is. Did you say earlier that it's seven times? So I was wondering how you evaluated this performance in comparison to, to past years. Uh, I'll,
3: I'll, I'll, it's hard to say. Um, it's hard to say because in terms of performance, like previously, I, there's probably been a better calibre of of um, a competition. Um, so two years ago, um, I came fourth. I had a, I had a better run then, but. Then think the course had changed this year, so as I don't really know. Um, the back course was harder this year, so it was slower. But I don't know how it would have compared against other other people. Um, but and also to a point this year, I sort of did what I needed to do. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I, I didn't need a, an exceptional marathon. I needed to be a solid solid marathon. So that that was my my sort of thing. But but in terms of the whole all round race and, and performance, it was definitely up there
1: as as one of my best. Definitely. It's interesting what you say there, so it, it seems as though the fact that the pros weren't there, that kind of changed the, the, the way in which you approached the race and the goals that you set, and obviously you, you saw this as an opportunity maybe to try and get the victory, but you maybe changed your strategy to sort of to focus on that more than you might have done other years.
3: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it was certainly a, a certainly few things. With that. I, I was not willing to take maybe the risks on the bike as I've, I've previously done, um, I certainly, uh, I knew the swim was, was was important, but but it was just a case of just relax and have a solid swim, and get out and and sort of d- do your work on the bike. whereas l- last year was a bit of a different uh, process with the swim where I wanted to try and stay with with other people, um, and on, on the run this year, yeah, it was just a case of just holding a solid time with, with the time I had, in, you know, the the, the leader had, I could afford to do that. Um, so it was more a case of putting the pressure on the others, as Mark said earlier putting pressure on the other athletes than on myself and, and, and working it that way so so yeah it was, it was good so in, in terms of
1: execution it sounds like the evaluation obviously would be very positive but but difficult to compare to the years because of the the lack of the pros there
3: yeah possibly yeah yeah
1: and um in terms specifically in ironman and um the psycholo- psychology of it what do you think of the the main psychological challenges both maybe generally for most people but also for you particularly
3: uh yeah it's, it's tough you, you, you you'll never you'll never go through an ironman without having a period where a tough period full stop there's, there's always a period Whether it's you know I have a period in the swim. I always have a period in the bike we swim back and run, where I question what I'm doing and why I'm doing it because um, that's just part of it you, you always do but it's it's having the the strength through you've had through your training through your previous races through your old experiences what you soon you soon switch that and and, and, and figure it out but um but yeah there's always a period where i question things um and i just I, I have that mental
1: little conversation and, and come through it it's interesting what you say there because i think that's something that runs across all areas of endurance sport isn't it that you rec- recognising that you're going to have those tough periods, but then having things in place for you to deal with it when it happens, because um, I think that's why where people it can fall down. And uh, do you do anything specifically to prepare psychologically, Brian? Man,
3: um, I do actually, and yeah, it's something I've done in recent years. Um, a few things really. I, 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 do, I use a lot of visualization. I, I, I visualize what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it and how it's going to feel. Um, I visualise winning the race many, many, many times, um, in a funny way when it happens, it's all a bit surreal. But but yeah, I, I do. Uh, people might think I'm a bit crazy with that, but that's something I've, I've picked up on, and, and I do. Um, and, I, and I also sort of when I when I have doubts in my own mind, I'll I'll just have that conversation with myself and reassure myself of what I've done in the past. So, sort of. for example, this race, um, all that I knew is. I was off the back of seven weeks ago having my best ever performance. So I sort of used that all, the whole way through as, as, a, as a real confidence thing of knowing all you need to do, Brian, is race like you did seven weeks ago. And you're going to, in my opinion, I felt I was going to take some real beating. And if I, yes, and if I got beat on Sunday by the better man, I'll be first person to shake his hand. But I, I, just, I was confident of knowing that if I did perform how I did then, I was going to take some beating. It was going to take a good performance to beat me. And, and if I did, I did. I, I can cope with that. It's not a problem. But but that was my, my psyche. Yeah, that's how I went about
1: it. It's interesting what you say because recent performances can be, and training experiences can be very important in terms of building our confidence. And obviously that was something that was really important for you. Just going back to what you said about visualisation and use of imagery, do you, do you visualise those tough periods at all in terms of you know how you'll cope with them and how you'll respond?
3: No, I, I, I visualise the positives. I don't okay. really visualise negatives. Um, yeah. There's, there's no real point. I mean, I, I, I have things in place. If if I do start then th- things do start coming to me. Um, I soon put them to the back of my mind and, and think positive and put it right. But but yeah, no, I, I'm I'm always very positive. So you, you, you deal you, with you, those. Of those you think about, is falling off your bike. You're gonna fall off your bike.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Now I was thinking more those those tough periods and how you cope with those. Yeah, you said that there's always been a tough period in an Ironman. Um, what sort of techniques do you use to, to deal with those?
3: Just just the confidence in knowing I've been here before and it and it will come good. You just gotta stick at it. Um, you know. Um, that that's how I'll do it. I will call on previous like for example, I'll give you an example, say the last the last sixteen miles of, of, of the marathon and I just sort of cut I start a blank and I'll say, Right, this is just the training run. You've done this so many times, you're out and back on the canal. That's, it's just a, a, a Tuesday morning run that you've done many times and I just bring that back and think right that's all you're doing just tap it out just tap it out and it makes it all a lot easier it seems all a lot easier then you know so that's how I, I sort of do it i think yeah. about it making it feel like something
1: that's quite normal yeah just break like it down
3: every, Yeah. break it down sort of start again and say right we've got 10 miles to go now that's just your Wednesday run that's, that's all you're doing now is your Wednesday run and you're done you know and just think of it that
1: way um, you mentioned earlier, I think, when you are talking with Mark about the the swim, you you came out of the swim, yeah, you know, down maybe in the twenties or something like that. I think when you go off the swim, is that no, something? You... I think I
3: was, just on the top fifty coming out of the swim. Our
1: top fifty, yeah. So, is that something that you find psychologically challenging, or does that not bother you too much? How do you find that?
3: It's something I've got used to. Um, I'm a weaker swimmer. I accept that. Um, I, my new circumstances this year, again, have, have made it difficult for me to put the extra hours into the swim, so again, I accept that. I don't keep fighting it. Once over, I'll fight it all the time, and mentally it gets to you. So I accept it, I deal with it, make the best of a bad situation. Um, I knew my swimming wasn't going to be great, but I also knew if I stayed relaxed, I got on good feet. I didn't have Mark there to follow this year, but <laughs> I, I managed I managed to get good feet and, and, and stay relaxed. And, and um, I knew coming out under an hour, that was... That was that was job done for me. I, I've got to be really, got to be realistic as well in this game. You, there's no point in me saying I'm going to do a 55-minute swim. I've never done a 55-minute swim before, so I'm not going to turn up on race day and do a 55-minute swim. No, really, was I going to do a one 5 swim? Because I've, I've never really done that before in in a you know in the Lake suit swim. So it's just just having a solid swim was, was where I needed to be, and that again was all set in my mind prior to to the race. So
1: um, you've got a very specific personal goal for you to focus on for the swim not too worried about where that puts you in terms of other people, and then you'll capitalise on your strengths later in the race. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, that sounds good. Uh, and you mentioned earlier also about last year, and uh, things didn't go so well for you last year in terms of, I think you had some mechanicals, crash, or maybe two crashes. Was that something that was on your mind? I think, Yeah, I read some media uh, you'd said that you felt like you'd let people down last year. Was that something that was on your mind pre-race this year in terms of yeah, if those issues came up, or were you a man, were you able to sort of put those to one side?
3: Um, I I sort of felt they them them issues were more impacting the more in in my, my immediate race after that. So for I, example, I, I I I got them out of my head. The next race I did. Um, so going now into twelve months so on, I was they had gone. I'd sort of felt I'd I put them to bed with having a. Backing it up, for example, last year I sort of had a solid race at Wales, so I put them to bed then, in that in my own head. So no, I was I went into this pretty confident, really. Again, and that was probably if Lanzarote didn't go well, maybe I would have come in, you know, feeling feeling more negative. But because that went well, I was off the back of a positive result, and I followed that positive energy, if you will, into this race. So I, I was, yeah, there was no real negativeness going into this race.
1: Yeah, that's, that's good. I mean, I think it's important in your training and in your preparation races, isn't it, to make sure that you've addressed any concerns so that you're not bringing them into your areas, kind of thing. And I think that's what you've obviously done very successfully. Um, and did you, in terms of psychology this year, did you prepare any differently to what you've done last year, or was that, were they all things that you'd done uh, in past years?
3: I think as, as, as an athlete, as, as a person, I'm, I'm improving all the time in that regard. Um, I don't think Ironman specifically is, is something you never stop learning, you never stop improving. Um, certainly if you're smart and you're quite a deep thinker, which I am, I always analyse everything I do. Um, so I think all the time I'm getting better at that, um, to be honest with you. And yeah, um, Just getting stronger as a person and, and able to deal with, with anything that might be thrown my way, And I, th- I think that's the big thing. Because i always always say I Ironman, ironmans never go exactly how you plan but to some people when they don't the impact some people different than others I think that's something that you you, you grow you you can you
1: can get you can out you can that's something you can gain with experience now I think naturally some people are better out there at sort of coming out of adversity in difficult situations and improving from it other people need more support around that but if we're always viewing each race as a learning experience then we're looking to improve and move forward aren't we and it sounds like that's something in the same way that Mike said earlier there's lots of sort of model answers there um, from a psychological perspective as well so maybe it's not that surprising that you've you know, you've just had this win and that you've had a very successful performance um, that's, that's pretty much from me Mark so back over to you.
0: Yeah I just wanted to, to finish Brian just with a bit of a I suppose almost like a philosophical question, really, about how Iron Man's influenced and defined your life. And so, because uh, I mean, I, I myself have been competing in Iron Man for, for a long, long time. And I wasn't racing on Sunday, but I was there with the kids because they have the Iron Kids event. And they had like 3,000 kids taking part. So your little one will be there soon. You know that. Don't yeah. You? Yeah.
3: yeah.
0: And, uh, and the kids were taking part, and it was brilliant in the atmosphere. And I, um, Having t- you know, competed in many races, I feel that like Man sometimes—they're a commercial company, and that's what they are. But I also feel they get they get a lot of bad press for people saying they're being very commercial and so on. But what they actually do is they provide this amazing experience, and 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 it's a family thing with the Iron Kids. And you know, for people who are thinking about entering next year and they're looking at the entry fee and I don't know what it is now—it's four hundred and fifty quid or something like that—and I'm trying to explain to people it's not four hundred and fifty quid to enter a race; it's four hundred and fifty quid. Every hundred mile bike ride that you're going to get out there and do in the rain in January, it's going to get you out of bed in the morning to go and swim. It's all the people that you meet, it's the places that you visit, it's all those experiences along the way. It's you know, it's it's a year of all of that experience, and and then the race is the end of it. So it's the journey as well. It's not just race day. And that's what you're paying for. You're not paying four hundred fifty pounds for a race, and there is a lot more to it. And I find that with people, that I the first time they done Ironman UK, or people that we've coached. It's just—it's not just the race. They have an absolute ball and learn so much about themselves in that nine months. Nine months before, but you know, if you think about yourself, you personally your Ironman journey—you know how, what it means to you, and how much it—it's it's defined
3: your life. It's interesting that it? I think the, Mark, the key word was it is a journey. Um, you know, it helped, and, and to be good at Ironman or, 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 or you know, you've, you've, it's a. It's, um, You've got to change your life. It's got to become your life. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to implement all your everything else around it. Um, but yeah, it's got to be. It's got to. Be, you've got to live it. Um, and for for me, yeah, when I when I took it up and when I back eight nine eight years ago, when I when I took it on as, as a challenge, um, I used to look up to people like you doing it, and you was, you was one of the heroes around this area. You're certainly the man. Um, for me, it was a case of it, it, I was going through a bit of a bad period at the time. Um, mentally um maybe not you know internally I, w- I was i was going through a bit of a period and i sort of wanted to rediscover myself a little bit and iron man did that for me um it, it just made me feel better but uh become a better person um yeah and i think when you feel you've done an iron man you can feel like you've done it you can do anything and it does help a lot of people change the life for the better um so yeah, I mean, I could go deeper with that, but but yeah, it's it's certainly something that can, it can it can give you a big confidence boost um, in, yeah. in life as, as a whole.
0: And I guess you know, I look at it, I look at you now, and it's it's not just about the race. You think you're coming towards October, and you and twenty of your family are all going to get on a plane and go to Kona, and share a holiday place in Kona. And it's all uh, the race aside. All of that that it brings, all those experiences, and the youngsters see it. The kids see it as well. Do you know what I mean? You sure, you've got yeah. youngsters going, and they see it and they get to experience it, and it knocks onto them as well. And yeah. all of that, you know, it is it is so much more. And I suppose you know everybody's looking for some kind of thing in their life what defines them. And 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 I think you know with you, I found it in Iron Man. It's so much more than the racing, isn't it? It's all of that other stuff that goes with it. Yeah,
3: definitely. That that's the best bit of it all. Um Yeah, it, it, it brings a lot of people together. Is is, is 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 what makes it special. Um, You know, Um yeah, it's a journey for everyone because they all enjoy it. They all get on board. It's, and it's 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 all good. It's all positive. You know, like I said it changes people's lives for the better. Getting out and training and meeting people, Um and the, it's even better. There's such a good network in the northwest with it all. It's it's exciting times. It's, yeah, it's come along, yeah. hasn't it, in the last because. So 15 20 years, um, yeah, it's, it's all good, it's all good, I love it. Yeah,
0: I would just say the bit about me being your hero that's staying in the show, mate. That definitely, that's definitely staying in
3: the show. <laughs> no, well, no, yeah, I mean, everyone knows that. Mark. You, you, you've set the standard for a long, long time, you know, you, you did. I'll, I'll, I'm not blowing smoke there, you, you, there's no two ways about it, definitely. But you, you, you've always done it with class, you've always done it with um, the class, and it's it's it's. It, You'd Be surprised how many people it's, it's affected and helps. And I hope to, I hope myself I can, can can push that on myself, you know. That's what I try and do, absolutely. Well, it's very much appreciated. Your comments are very, very kind, they're very much
0: appreciated. Um, Ian, is there any final words from you? Uh,
1: just only on Ian, that point of um, yeah, I was wondering if Brian had seen that picture of you on Twitter finishing <laughs> that race, <laughs> <laughs> <Rejoice>. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what it inspired him to say uh, 10 well, years ago. Well, Keswick.
0: Keswick Mountain Festival yeah. Triathlon, Brian. Talking about memories going back, Keswick yeah. Mountain Festival Triathlon, that's one of your favourites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: no, no. First ever win that, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Mike, anything from you to finish?
2: No, just uh, another big massive congrats. And then just to uh, all those listeners, you know, the the importance that we've chatted about today about strength training as part of that whole
0: programme of- and-
2: what you can do on the bike on your feet in the pool because you've got a stronger more robust system
1: no, i think from me as well seriously you know what brian said in terms of his psychological preparation how he copes there's a lot of important messages for people there as well i think so yeah lots to learn for people right through the field uh, it's
3: been interesting yeah. been interesting topics and, and two very important things that are, are neglected and that is from Ian's point of view, the psychological part of, of being successful, I am Alan, and, and we're Mike, and, and that's the, the, the strength the strength side of things for staying injury free, and, and also improving yourself as, as an athlete. Um, two very important topics. Yeah. that have been well discussed. and enjoyed it. Yeah. Well.
0: Thanks very much for coming on the show, Brian. We absolutely you know,
3: really appreciate you coming on and, and,
0: and giving us your time. It was uh, it was absolutely fantastic watching you at Bolton. You know, stood on the sidelines. It was brilliant to see you win it. Uh, I know it was a lifelong dream. And, uh, and and we all very much hope that you go to Kona and absolutely knock it out of the park and get the result that you deserve. So, uh, so best of luck for Kona, mate. And thanks again for coming on the show.
3: Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thank you very thanks, much. Brian, good Thank luck. You. Best so of good. luck. Bye now. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the show this week, guys. We do hope you enjoyed it. Remember, if you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, you can follow me at Endurance Coach. You can follow Mike at The Endurance PT. And you can also follow Ian at MD Sport X. That's MD Sport EX. Also, just a shout out for Brian as well. Check out Brian's family business, foggertyinsurance.co.uk. And also, if you think the uh, UK champ might get you to Kona next year, check out his coaching, tricentraluk.com. Have a great week. We'll speak to you soon.